0: Hi friends and welcome to another episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. We're in this series where we're working our way slowly but surely through the Gospel of John. Stepping our way through this, journeying through this Gospel account and looking at this big idea, this key theme of Jesus as Messiah and asking ourselves what did it mean for for John to say that originally and what did it mean for the original hearers of these thoughts and ideas and images what has it meant throughout history as we'll unpack that as we go through this series and ultimately asking ourselves here and now in 2024 what does it mean for us to announce and to proclaim with our words and with our actions that Jesus is Messiah today. We find ourselves in John chapter 3, and we're going to finish off that chapter in this episode of the podcast. So starting in verse 22. I'm going to read right the way through and then kind of double back onto it and kind of just pick out a few ideas for this episode. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, well, first off, we need to stop there. After what? After this. This was the conversation. This was the encounter. This was the 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 um back and forth that Jesus has with Nicodemus this Pharisee and Nicodemus comes to him he's a very high up kind of Pharisees pharisee very very famous very he's a big deal and he comes to kind of investigate he comes to interrogate he comes to almost interview Jesus he's trying to put out the feelers and ask the right kinds of questions to discover who Jesus is. And he comes to him, we're told, at night under cover of darkness so that nobody knows that he's gone to see him and nobody knows that this conversation has taken place. He's still worrying about his image, he's worrying about his reputation, he's worrying about what other people, other Pharisees are going to say and think if they know that he's come to speak to this new up-and-coming rabbi and that's exactly how he addresses him. He addresses him as rabbi and teacher. He's coming to him at a particular point of seeing and understanding and through this conversation and through the actions that continue throughout the gospel we see that 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 stage of discipleship moves Uh, But for now, Nicodemus has just come to see Jesus as this teacher rabbi figure to have his questions for him. And then this story takes place directly after that. That's why it says after this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised them. Now, John also was baptising at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over a matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. So a lot going on in just those A few short verses. Again, we get back, we've got a kind of a little mixture here of kind of narrative and storytelling and and action going on, and also a little bit of dialogue as well. We've got a nice combination of the two where the beginning of John chapter 3 is basically all dialogue. It's all this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now we're getting kind of words and actions together going on on the other side of the Jordan. So let's unpack this a little bit. Um, verse 22, we'll we we'll trail back to that. Verses 22 to 24. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put into prison. So here we're seeing... Uh, not only is Jesus and Jesus' ministry kind of moving on and travelling and, and kind of going in a direction, but the, actually John the Baptist's ministry is doing the same as well. You might have thought that at that point where he does his job, where his job is to be that sign, isn't it? To he's put The point is for him to point to the point. Once he said, behold, the Lamb of God and pointed Jesus out and ultimately said, that's the Messiah, that's who we've been waiting for, that's who I've been preparing the way for. You might think then that that's it, we don't hear any more from John because that's the end of his ministry. His job was to prepare some way and then point out the Messiah when he came and he's done that, so that should be the end. And yet we see here that John the Baptist's ministry continues and that's the first thing to notice here. Ministry. We're hearing about these two separate ministries that are kind of running alongside each other as parallel. We've got Jesus' ministry and we've got John the Baptist's ministry. And John's ministry is continuing. After being that sign, pointing to the point, he shows his commitment by keep on going. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He keeps on keeping on. He's committed to the calling that he was given. And this ongoing work of preaching repentance and baptising people in water and continuing to prepare the way for Jesus and prepare people for Jesus and prepare people's hearts and people's lives for Jesus and Jesus' teaching and Jesus' words and Jesus' actions. So that's the example of ministry that John keeps on going. And maybe that's an encouragement for you today. You might feel like giving up. You might feel like you're done. You might feel like you've hit a certain age and there's nothing else for you to do. You might feel like someone's come along who's bigger and brighter and better than you at whatever that thing is. And so you think, okay, step away and just stop. And yet, no, there is always more for us to do. It might look different. It might be something completely different to what we've been doing. But we don't stop. We keep on going we keep on being committed to our ministry and to the person of Jesus that we're pointing towards. Verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptising and everyone's going... To him. So here, we just made. We'll take this bit at a time here. But this is looking at purification, and uh, we looked a little bit at this um, with the wedding in Cana and the turning the water to wine story. Uh, but here it comes up again. This idea of of ceremonial washing and this purification comes up again, and we see this discussion or this dispute breaking out know, between some of John the Baptist's disciples, some of his followers, and we're told a certain Jew, this unnamed character within the story, all about, it seems, purification and ceremonial washing. Maybe they're having these theological discussions about what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do, and what's the point of the... The, the mikvah, the, the baths, the, the baptisms, the ceremonial cleansings, what they do and what they don't do. Why we do them and why we don't do them. And perhaps this certain Jew is not happy with how John is doing things. You see, John's taking, uh, John's using, even use stronger language. John's subverting this idea around mikvah, but doing something new with it. He's taking a twist on it. He's doing something different. And the truth is, what's true back then, is true today, that some people don't like this kind of break from tradition. Some people like to go, that's the way we do things, it's the way we've always done things, and it's the way we always will do things. But there, something's stuck, isn't it? Something stagnates, if we want to carry on with the water metaphor. Something's just stuck and can't progress, can't move forward unless someone's willing to kind of push that. And so he here, around this purification and these cleansing and ritual rites, that's what we see in John kicking out against. And then in the second half of that little section, we have something else as well. Something that's very 2024. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. Look. He is baptising and everyone is going to him. Now John didn't make like this statement. John wasn't looking around like that but his disciples were. His disciples had got their eyes up, their eyes around looking at what was going on, looking at what other people were doing. They were perhaps even counting numbers. That how else would they know that more people are going to Jesus's side of things and what Jesus is doing than was coming to them? They're comparing themselves with someone else. They're making it almost like a competition, like a rivalry, like our team's getting less and and his team's getting more, which, of course, he's going to jump onto what John's going to talk about in a second. But the point is, we do the same, don't we? How often do we make things a competition between us? Even between us and other Christians about certain things, about... They've got that, so I've got to get it. Or I've got to get the next thing. I've got to get the better thing, the newer model or whatever it is. Competing all the time. Acting like there's not enough to go around. Acting like our God isn't generous. Acting like the teaching from the Sermon on the Mount doesn't exist. Where where Jesus talks about not worrying about where your food and your clothes and stuff are going to come from. Because God is this generous creator who, who wants everyone to have all that they need that, that, that it's not this place of scarcity that we live in that it's not this idea that that we're in lack because someone else has or that God is somehow holding out on us and there's good stuff for us but God's not giving it us and it's not fair that all those other people are getting it and that gets to that comparing doesn't it looking around and saying well why have they got that and I haven't or why are they doing that and I'm not or Why are those guys baptising all those people and all of a sudden our numbers have gone down? It's comparing, it's comparison and it's competition, it's competing. So we've had ministry and we've had purification. Next we see John's response to what these disciples have just said. And we'll see all about humility, starting in verse 27. To this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So straight on the heels of John the Baptist's followers showing this concern or this worry about how popular Jesus and Jesus' disciples and Jesus' side of the Jordans becoming and therefore how less popular theirs might be. John the Baptist responds not in this same vein. He doesn't kind of prop up this comparison and this competition but instead he responds with this posture and this heart of humility. You see, John gets it. John understands his own role in God's bigger plan. Not only that, but John's willing to step aside so that Jesus' own ministry can flourish. John's willing to see himself as a mirror and that he can reflect the light and reflect the glory and reflect the focus and reflect the attention off of himself and onto the one who truly deserves it. He says... He must become greater. I must become less. It's about humility. And then finally, we see testimony, starting in verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God For God gives the Spirit without limit The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life But whoever rejects the Son will not see life For God's wrath remains on them Here John the Baptist is continuing in the vein that, that Jesus himself has talked about in this conversation just that just happened between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now John wasn't involved in that conversation, he didn't hear any of that and yet so much of what he just says in this last section sounds just like what Jesus was talking with Nicodemus about, doesn't it? It shows that they're in line, it shows that John's heart and John's vision And John's focus is in in line with the one that he's pointing to, is in line with the one as a mirror that he is reflecting back onto. And John the Baptist continues to testify, continues to tell people about Jesus, whether that's his own disciples or the people just in the general area. He points out Jesus' divinity, of where he's from, of who he is. But he also points out Jesus' authority as well. What he's come to do and what only he is able to do. Jesus is the one, we're told, who comes from above and is above all. This is all about having the right point of view. This is all about seeing through the eyes of God. And this is for us today as well. About having heaven's perspective. In whatever's going on around us, being able to see it through the eyes of heaven. Only Jesus really ultimately has that heavenly perspective. And we're told here by John that everyone else is from the earth. Everyone else has the earth's perspective. We've got Jesus as the one, the, the one who comes from above and he's above all. He's the one. And then there's Everyone else. There's no hierarchy here, there's no kind of pyramid scheme or any of that kind of stuff where there's little ones underneath and then little ones underneath that and underneath that. and under- No, it's Jesus who is above all and from above and then everyone else. There's heaven's perspective and there's earth's perspective. If we want to see, if we want to understand the kingdom of God... We have to look to the one from the kingdom of God. If we want to understand, if we want to see how this is all supposed to shake out, then our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Not looking at John the Baptist. Not like his disciples, looking around and and counting numbers and looking who's more popular. But purely fixed on Jesus. John the Baptist is pointing out that Jesus isn't just another prophet. He's not just another rabbi or a teacher like Nicodemus comes to him in this scene. He's the son of God, the one who comes from above and the one who has all authority. And believing in Jesus isn't just about head knowledge. It's not purely this intellectual choice or decision that we make. It's about seeing and trusting and understanding and even recognising Jesus' divine nature And his lordship over our lives and over creation. He must become greater. I must become less. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. Grace and peace.